You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. Have you noticed that we all like to be applauded? Given, right? And we all uh, seem to do better with appreciation and affirmation, whether it's coming from our mate, uh, maybe a coach, maybe a school teacher, maybe a supervisor. We just seem to do better uh, when we're applauded. When someone recognizes something that we've done and they speak of it, all right, man, it just like it adds value to our lives. For example, if, if someone goes out the door on a Sunday morning and they say to me as I'm standing at the door, that was the worst sermon I ever heard. I have no idea what you were talking about, and I don't think you know either. Um, that would be a bit deflating. That would make it like difficult to get up the next service like if that happened at 8 o'clock, I would have a difficult time showing up at 9.15. Or if it happened at 9.15, I would have a difficult time showing up at 10.30. Uh, excuse me, at, at 11 o'clock for the next service. Why? Because words have power, right? They can either build us or deflate us. Now, not that I'm fishing for a compliment this morning. So you don't have to say anything as you go out the door. You don't have to make eye contact with me this morning, actually. But if, let's say, uh, you were to leave today and say, wow, that was a great sermon that really spoke to me. Thanks for hearing from God and delivering His Word. That statement, that applause would energize me. And this is what I know. We all do better with appreciation and affirmation. We all do better when there's applause that's happening. So have you ever thought, I'm connecting this to something this morning if you're wondering, have you ever thought, What is it that God applauds? What is it that God longs to see in your life? Because I believe that as Christ's followers, we should be living our lives to bring honor to God. That our lives should actually be this. Our lives should be worship to God. Not just the songs that we sing, but literally the life that you live. And how many of you know, much of the life you live is lived out in relationship. Right? Yeah, like most of everything we do is somehow connected to relationship. So what does God applaud? What is it that, that brings God honor in our lives? Well, I think one of the first clues that we, that we find as we think about what God applauds, one of the first clues would be found in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. The scripture's on the screen, so I want to invite you to read this with me. Are you ready? If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Some of you caught that about halfway through, so we're going to read it again. Romans 12, 18, let's read it. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Interesting. Notice, as Paul wrote this, he says, as far as it depends on you not someone else not your mate not that family member not that co-worker not that individual at school Paul says it's as far as it depends on you now what I've come to discover in my own life because I, I, I hope you realize this as your pastor I'm trying to live out the very faith you're trying to live out 
You know, I, I get this title in front of my name, and oftentimes that makes people think, well, you don't have problems in your marriages. Just show up at 120 Bear Run Circle and you'll find out different. Sometimes my wife and I have um, intense conversations, just like you have. As I'm, listen, I'm trying to walk out my faith as I'm engaging daily in relationship with my wife, with my family, the, the staff I've led. And one of the things I've come to discover is that most of the time, if I'm still before the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and if I'm listening, what I've come to discover is most of the time the problem is not with others, the problem is with me. That the work is not that which needs to happen in someone else. The work is that which needs to happen in me as I'm trying to get along. We, we, we read about this, live at peace with, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. You know, that's one of those verses that's a whole lot easier to read and understand than it is to live out. Because at times, it can be difficult to live at peace with one another. At times, it can be difficult to get along. Why? Because we're all dealing with their relational issues. Because we're all dealing with the reality of, uh, of humanity that's playing out within us. And oftentimes, there's this ugly that shows up in our lives. But I believe it. It honors the Father. I believe it draws the applause of the Father when we as His children get along. When we're living at peace with one another. I know as a parent, and if you're a parent or a grandparent, you'll certainly identify with this. As a parent, when our children are getting along, being respectful to each other, being kind and helping each other, it makes me want to do the happy dance. But the opposite of that is, is when they're, and they're now 17 and 19, this still plays out, when they're bickering and speaking words that's cutting and hurtful, and they're at each other's throat, I want to say, stop! And I do it sometimes about that loud. Because it kills me. It grieves me as a parent to see that playing out. And so I, so I believe it is. Where their father, when as his children were at each other's throat, get this, in the marriage relationship, in the work relationship, in the family relationship, in the school relationship, God forbid, in the church relationship. I believe it grieves the heart of our father. But I believe that when we are getting along as his children, when we're living at peace with one another, I believe it's that that draws the applause of heaven. I believe it's that that, that that honors God. How can we get along with others? How can we, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with, with one another? You know, oftentimes we, we focus on others when I think if we would stop focusing on others and focus on ourselves, we would probably have a little better chance at getting along with one another. Now, oftentimes we think, well, I, 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 need, to, I need to fix someone. Have, have you noticed that you can't fix anyone? Amen. Being anyone else? You can't change? You know, some of you have been trying to change your mate, and how many, it's not working. You've been trying to fix your mate because you think they're the problem, and it's not working. Could it be that you're the problem? 
I got quiet, didn't I? <laughs> Could it be that you're the issue? And so many times we, we're not getting along in our marriages, in our families, in our work relationships, in our school relationships, and we think it's everyone else's problem. We're looking at the plank and we're looking at the speck in their eye and, and we're missing the plank in our own. Matter of fact, Jesus spoke to this, Matthew chapter 7. Let me just read what Jesus said. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite? First take the plank out of your own eye and you, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Basically, Jesus is saying here, don't try to fix others. First address your own issues. Before you go charging out to fix someone else, why don't you look in the mirror? See who you see there. That's what he's saying. Because we're willing to follow the counsel of Jesus then we can better live at peace with everyone. We can better develop and maintain relationships that bring honor to God and that bring the applause of God. I think we would agree that relationships are like one of the greatest gifts that God's given us. However, because of humanity, relationships can present us with, with some of our greatest challenges. And as Christ followers, we're called to be intentional in our relationships, always working to get along with one another. And that's the challenge. It's been said to live with saints above, oh, that'll truly be glory. But to live with saints below, that's a different story. It's true, isn't it? And Paul gives us some insight here in Philippians 2 that I think can help us out. How can we get along? And hear me, please, as we read this text this morning, please don't separate yourself from it. Bring yourself into it. Because as we're reading here in Philippians 2, it's about your marriage. It's about your family relationship. It's about where you work. It's about your school relations. I think it tends, our tendency at times is we remove ourselves from the Scripture rather than bringing ourselves into the story. And I would tell you today that Paul was writing about you, about your relationships, about how you're processing life as he, as he penned these words for us this morning. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Let me pause here just for a moment. How many of you would say that you've been blessed by God in your life? How many would say that you are grateful for His mercy and His grace? Come on, every day. That if, that's, if, if you're in that place and say, yeah, that's me, I'm, I'm grateful for God's, I'm grateful for His mercy and grace, then Paul's setting you up here. He's setting me up. He's saying because of, because of God's work in your life and on your behalf, notice verse 3 says, then do nothing out of... Selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
Your attitude or your thinking should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but He made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted Him to the highest place, And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's from these words the Apostle Paul wrote and from the example of Jesus that I believe we discover some great life lessons on how to get along. How can we get along? How can we live at peace with one another? If you can take these four life lessons that we're going to talk about today and implement them into your life, listen, it will change, it will transform your relationships. I'm going to guarantee you. Transform your relationships at every level. Now, I have to be honest, I have to confess to you this morning that I've not got this fully worked out in my own life. But what I have discovered is that I take these very principles that we're going to talk about this morning, and as I live them out in my marriage, in my family relationships, in the staff relationships, it elevates the relationships. We're, we're, better, we're better positioned to get along. Not because, get, this, get this, not because I fixed someone else, not because I fixed my wife. You know, early on in our marriage, I thought my wife needed fixing. And it almost brought us to a broken marriage because I was being stupid. Can I say that? I thought it was her problem and I was going to fix her problem. And it didn't go over so well. I began to realize that the issue wasn't with her. The issue was with me. It's not that God so much wanted to change her. It was me that needed the changing. What I've discovered is as we take these four lessons that we're going to talk about this morning, listen, it will, it will bring you to the place of a healthier marriage relationship, healthier family relationship. You'll better be able to get along. So here's the four lessons really quick. The first is this. A relationship with Jesus should positively affect a relationship with others. If you look back to verse 1 and 2, what Paul said, he said, knowing Jesus should change how you relate to others. Listen, what we don't want to do is we don't want to compartmentalize our faith. Like, you know, we act this way on Sunday because it's the Lord's day, right? And then on Monday we act a different way. What's that called? It's called compartmentalization of your faith. Listen, don't do that. To knowing Jesus and living for Jesus must positively impact your relationships at every level. And if it's not, then you have a problem. You have a disconnect. You may be professing Christ, but you're really not following Christ. So knowing Jesus and living for Jesus must positively affect our relationships at every level. And being a, being a follower of Jesus means just that. We're following Him. We're learning from Him. We're living like Him. From the time you accept Jesus as your Savior until you leave this earth, listen, you should be in an ongoing transformation process. 
Ephesians 4, Paul talks about this. We're putting off the old man. We're renewing our minds. We're putting on the new man. We're becoming like Christ in that we're relating to others as Jesus would. I mean, think about this. How might our relationships at every level be changed if we loved as God loves and if we forgave others as we've been forgiven? Just those two simple principles. How do you think it might transform your relationships? See, God's love for us, revealed through Jesus, should serve as our guide in loving others. If you want to know how you should love others, just look to how Jesus loved. Remember, in John 15, verse 12, this is what Jesus said. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So from this verse, how should we love others? Okay, it's not a trick question. It's right here on the screen. (laughs) Notice what Jesus said. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. So according to Jesus, how should we love each other? As he's loved us. How many of you know we might all get along a little better if we love like Jesus loved? Not only are we called to love as... As Jesus loved, but we're called to forgive as we've been forgiven. Think about that. But how God has forgiven us should be the guideline as to how we should then forgive others. Colossians 3.13, Paul wrote these words. Bear with each other. And forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Again, not a trick question, but I've got to ask you. How should we forgive others? As the Lord has forgiven us. How many of you know it would be a whole lot easier for us to get along, to live at peace with one another? If we were willing... To forgive as we've been forgiven. So how has the Lord forgiven us? Let's start with completely. Like as far as the east is from the west. Psalm 103. Verse I think 14. How has the Lord forgiven us? Unconditionally. He didn't say, okay, you know, I can take care of these things, but boy, these two here, they're a little bigger. You're going to have to do a little more penance to get over that. Uh, No, completely, unconditionally. And here's the one that really gets us continually. Have you been forgiven continually? How many of you know if it was three strikes and you're out, we'd all be out? This building would be empty today. We'd all be out. We're forgiven continually. So, so as we think about as we think about our relationships, then Paul says here, beginning in these first couple of verses, that our relationship with Jesus should positively affect our relationship with others. What we're loving as 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 He loved us, we're forgiving as as we've been forgiven, and then then we can work at getting along. Here's a second lesson. We can learn about how to get along with others. And it's this. Selfish ambition should not direct our motives and behaviors toward others. 
Verse 3. Philippians 2 verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Nothing. I mean, you know, nothing kind of like covers it all, right? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. See, when we get selfish and are just focused on ourselves and what we want, then this is what happens. We create relational tension. Strife and discord are often the result of selfish behavior. We create trouble in our relationships when we're more concerned about our needs and what we want than we are for the concerns and needs of others. But it creates relational tension, discard, strife. I mean, think about this. You can have two young children playing in a sandbox having the time of their lives. And everything is happy and wonderful until one of the little boys gathers all of the toys and he says, Mine. How many of you know all of a sudden happy leaves the sandbox? Right? What well, someone got selfish. Relational tension. Discord. In the workplace. Let's say, let's say if in your workplace there's an individual who is um, withholding information for personal gain. For themselves. Or let's say you're in a job of sales and, and someone in your workplace is like skimming the commissions. In other words, they're thinking about themselves, not you. How many of you know all of a sudden you have what? You have some relational tension, don't you? And we got a problem in the workplace. We have a problem in the relationship. Why? Someone got selfish. Same thing happens in a marriage. A marriage relationship can be going along great, having time of their lives, husband and wife, until someone gets selfish. Remember, I would say most of the folks that end up in my office saying they have marital problems usually don't have marital problems. What they have is they have an individual in the marriage relationship who got selfish. And that plays out in a lot of, there's a lot of behaviors that can happen in that. But someone got selfish and all of a sudden it's manifested in the marital relationship and now we have tension. We have discord. We have dissension. Why? It's this issue of selfish ambition. And what's interesting, selfish ambition is often difficult to see in our own lives because we have blind spots. And we're pretty good at justifying our behavior. I know you wouldn't justify your behavior, but probably your neighbor would, right? Oh, we have blind spots. But the root cause of much of the relational strife we experience is because someone got selfish. Someone was more concerned for themselves than for others. And the root... The root of selfish ambition is excessive self-love that disregards the rights and the feelings of others. It makes, it makes the focus about you, not others. And whenever that happens, what? We have a hard time getting along. Here's the reality by nature. We're selfish people. I think that's a reality for all of us. Often, often we expect to receive more from a relationship than we're willing to give. And it's that tendency that brings death for relationships. It's that tendency that makes it difficult to get along. So, so how, do we, how do we counter that? Well, what's the answer for the problem of our selfish ambition? I'm glad you asked that question because Paul gives us the answer. It's found in, in verse 3 and in verse 4. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. 
Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests, to the well-being of others. Out of these two verses, we discover the third lesson on how we can get along with one another. Here it is. Humility should define our opinion of ourselves and our attitude toward others. So if we want to get along with others, then humility is an absolute necessary characteristic that we must be growing, that we must be cultivating in our lives. Here's here's the challenge. You can't order humility from Amazon and get it delivered in a day. It's a quality and a characteristic that we have to be intentional and committed to growing in our lives over a lifetime. So what is humility? I I think to best understand humility, it's helpful to know what's the opposite of humility. So let let me first give you the opposite of humility. The opposite of humility is pride and an exaggerated feeling of self-importance. It's about making life all about you. The humility is, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less as you live your life concerned for the needs of others and serving others. It's interesting that Leonard Bernstein, the famous orchestra director, was once asked which, was the, which instru- instrument was the most difficult to play. This great director thought for a moment, and this is what he said, listen as I read this, So the second fiddle, I can get plenty of violinists, but to find someone who can play second fiddle with enthusiasm, that's a problem. And if we have no second fiddle, we have no harmony. Wow. I would say the same is true in our relationships. If we have no humility, we have no harmony. And you can apply that to your marriage, to your family relationships, to your friendships, to your school relationships, to your work relationships. If we have no humility, we have no harmony. It's difficult. It's difficult to get along. So humility can be understood as, as putting Jesus first, others second, and ourselves afterwards. It's choosing to, to work for the good of others, considering their interests, not just living for yourself. As you contrast pride and humility, you begin, to, you begin to understand why humility is critical in maintaining, building healthy relationships. So let me just read to you some of these points of contrast. Proud people focus on the failures of others and can readily point out the faults of others. Humble people are more conscious of their own needs and faults than of anyone else's. Proud people have to prove that they're right. They have to get the last word. Humble people are willing to yield the right to be right. Proud people desire to be served. They want want life to revolve around them and their own agenda. Humble people are motivated to serve others and want to be sure that, that others' needs are met before their own. Proud people are quick to blame others. Humble people accept responsibility and can acknowledge where they were wrong in a situation. As we, as we think about these contrasts between pride and humility, I, I think we can understand why, why pride brings discord and dissension. 
while humility enables us to get along with others. See, true humility is not putting ourselves down. Rather, true, true humility is lifting others up. And as we're more concerned with lifting others up, then we're, we better find peace. We're, we're better able to, to get along with others. And in that, when we, we discover greater value in life and we honor God in our lives, I think we would all say this morning, we need to grow a little in humility. Can we agree on that this morning? God, help us grow in this area in our lives. Because again, where there's no humility, there's no harmony. There's tension and there's strife. And here's the final lesson. We have from Philippians 2 on how we can get along with others, and it's this. Christ's thoughts about relationships should define the way we think about relationships. Philippians 2, 5. Notice what verse 5 says. Your attitude, your thinking, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Basically, Paul was saying here, as we think about our relationships and as we relate to one another, Jesus Christ should be our model. How many of you remember the childhood game of follow the leader? How many of you played the game follow the leader? Maybe I should ask that. The game was really simple, right? What you, you followed the leader. If the leader did... Three jumps, then you were supposed to do three jumps. If the leader did five push-ups, you were supposed to do five push-ups. Again, what you, you're doing what the leader is doing. The whole concept of this childhood game. I think Paul is basically saying here, do what Jesus did. Follow the leader. Think about relationships as Christ lived out relationships. And allow that to shape to shape your mentality, your thinking about relationships. So, so what does that look like? Let me leave you with these three statements and then we're finished. What does it look like to think about relationships as Jesus did, to live out relationships as Jesus did? First is this, Jesus was selfless in his thinking. Verse 6 says he made himself nothing. So here's Jesus, get this, here's Jesus, the Son of God who was fully God. Yet, yet he chose to lay down his divine rights that he might be the redeemer, that he might give his life so we could have life. Hey, Jesus was selfless in his thinking because he was thinking about us. What a model for us is as we take the focus off of us and as we place it on others and as we think of others and not ourselves, listen, then we can get along. We're better positioned to build healthy marriages and healthy family relationships and healthy peer relations all because we're thinking of others, not ourselves. Not only was Jesus selfless in his thinking, he was also a servant. He was a servant in his thinking. Verse 7 goes on to say that, that he took the very nature of a servant. And Jesus himself, Jesus, the son of God himself said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. But thinking about how we relate to one another should be shaped by that. And that Jesus came to serve. And if we're going to live like Jesus, we're going to serve. serve. 
It's interesting, John 13, you can check this out later because I'm out of time. But in John 13, just before the Passover, or as they were celebrating the Passover, just before Jesus was to go to the cross, as I see this story playing out, I think the disciples were looking out around the room thinking, like, who's going to wash our feet? Who's going to take this insignificant role? And it shocked them when Jesus, the Son of God, took off his outer garment, wrapped the towel around his waist, and he took the basin, and one by one he washed the disciples' feet. He took the lowest of low position. Interesting. As he finished this task of washing the disciples' feet, John 13, verses 14 and 15, Jesus said this to the disciples, I've given you a model. I've given you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Listen, as we take that model and we bring it into our marriages, this is what happens. It transforms the marriage. Bring that model into our friendships. It transforms relationships. In the church, really, it transforms relationships. But Jesus was a servant in his thinking. That was the model he's given for us. Now we're called to serve others. And you might be thinking this morning, well, Pastor, if I do that in the workplace, people are going to take advantage of me. And you know what? They just might. They might. But let me ask you a question. Are you more concerned about living for the applause of men? Are you more concerned about living for the applause of God? What do you want in your life? Sure, as we live out humility, as we live as a servant, there may be some who say, I'm going to take advantage of that. Listen, if they do, hear me, friend, it's a short-term win. It's not a long-term win. Because the Scripture tells us this, is that as we serve others, as we walk out, as we live out humility, it draws the favor of God. First Peter 5, 5 says this, that God opposes the proud, but He brings His favor for the humble. Where do we find the favor of God? As we bring humility into our lives and we live that out in relationships. So Jesus was, was selfless in His thinking. Jesus was a servant in His thinking. And Jesus was sacrificial in his thinking. The scripture goes on to say, verse 8, that he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus placed your needs and my needs before his own as he gave his life on the cross. He was more concerned for us than he was for himself. And Jesus was like others focused. What a challenge for us is as we think about those that we do life with, not that we're called to die for others, but as we, as we sacrificially put their needs before our own, what happens is that it transforms their relationships. Again, we're, we're better able to get along with others. You know, the greatest lesson to be learned from Jesus about how to get along is to acknowledge that He consistently thought of others more than he thought of himself. And as Christ's followers, said, we're called to do the same. You know, it, it's my conviction, my belief. You don't have to believe what I believe, but it's my belief that the number one indicator of your relationship with God is not about how much Bible you read, and I'm all for reading the Bible. 
number one indicator is not how many hours you spend in prayer. Listen, I'm all for prayer. Please don't go out of here and say, Pastor told us not to pray. Listen, I'm all for prayer. But those are not the number one indicator of your relationship with God. I believe the number one indicator of your relationship with God is how you're living out relationship with others. It's manifested where in how you're treating your mate, how you're treating your peers. We want to talk about being a follower of Jesus. Let's talk about your relationships. Knowing Jesus and following Jesus must change who we are and how we relate. And when we get along as God's children, I believe this. I believe there's applause that's happening in heaven. What does God applaud? I believe He applauds. reality of relationships where where individuals are living at peace with one another. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you this morning for your love, your grace, your provision for us. I thank you for the truth of your word that challenges us, that corrects us, that instructs us. And Lord, your word directs us as, as far as it depends on on us that we should live at peace with one another and, and Lord to be honest that's, at times that's difficult to live out and so Holy Spirit I, I pray today for everyone in the room because we all have relationships at a lot of different levels we have different circles different circles of influence this circles of, of friendship God I pray for everyone in the room today Help us, Holy Spirit, to become more concerned about the interests of others than we are ourselves. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, in this week, in this month, in this year, help us to really to follow the model of Christ who was selfless in his thinking, who was a servant in his thinking, who was sacrificial in his thinking. May that transform our thinking as we relate to one another. Holy Spirit, help us not just to hear the Word today and walk away, but Holy Spirit, help us to embrace that of Your Word that refines us and transforms us. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org. 